Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Here we go. Chapter 13 of Numbers says this, says, The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders. Reuben, Shamuah, son of Zachar. Stick with me, these are names. Simeon, Shaphat, son of Horai. Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From Ephraim was Hoshea, son of Nun. Benjamin was Palti, son of Raphu. These are great names for kids if you're thinking of any. Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi. From the tribe of Manasseh was Gadi, son of Susi. It's a great one. Dan. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gemali. From Asher was Sethu, son of Michael. From Naphtali was Nabi, son of Vofsi. This is beautiful. Gad, there came Guel, son of Maki. I thought that was some sushi. No, anyway. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses called Hoshea, son of Nun, by the name Joshua. You might know that one. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or they're unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? And, And are there any trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see there. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. Wine season. I just added that in. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near Lebo Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron, where Ahaman, Sheshai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. Moving on to verse 23, it says, When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites' men cut there. Everyone still with me? Good. Reading a whole bunch today. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel and at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So basically, they're saying there was amazing things, but there were also giants there, and many enemies against us. Verse 30 is key. It says this, But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said this, Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw there were huge. 
We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Chapter 14, nine more verses. Take a breath, we're going, keep going. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, they said, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Well done. You guys did well there. Let's pray. Father, this this morning as we read your word, as we we elevate your word as the the highest authority in our lives, not man's opinions, but your word, I thank you, Jesus, that, that you are doing a great work in this church. I thank you, Jesus, that you are positioning us today afresh as a church, but also as individuals, for greater impact, for greater influence, and you're reminding us today that our best days are still in front of us. Yeah. I thank you, God, for this truth. You are deep in us and will change the way we walk. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Really cool. Well done. It's a whole lot of scripture, but it's good to read scripture together. The, the Bible actually tells us to not neglect the public reading of scripture. So we did well there. I think I did well with all those names as well. Just commending myself. Four quick stories before I get in. Uh, to what I'm trying to say out of this text this, this morning, is in 1984, four years before my birth, in a, in a land far, far away called America. Some of you may have heard it. Anyone? America. It's quite an quite a unusual country. But they have a, a sport called NBA, basketball, National Basketball Association. And what happens at the beginning of every season, for one fan. Thank you, Ali. Good, good, good. What happens at the beginning of every season is they'll have this thing called out of college. They'll have all the college uh, players will come and they'll, they'll put their names and they have to be picked by an NBA team. And they call this the draft system. And what happens is the best of the best players come into the system. They see all the stats, all the, the teams, the Chicago Bulls, the Miami Heat, all the, the owners, they gather, they look at all these names. And whoever won the season before has first pick of who they want. They get to pick the first player, the best. They look at the stats, the best of the best from college to come. And then goes down the line. The next team gets to pick the next best and they go down. It's called the draft system and how it keeps having new players in the, in the, in the NBA. But in 1984, the Portland Trailblazers were the envy of the team that was the envy of the whole league because they got to pick first. And coming up on their roster, the two names that were sticking out in 1984, the first name was a little known name called Michael Jordan. Some of you might have heard of it. And that name came up, had all the good stats and all that. And there was another guy just behind him called Sam Bowie. Some of you might not have heard of old Sam Bowie. And uh, what happened was Portland Trailblazers looked at these two, and they looked at Michael Jordan's stats, but they looked at what they saw of him, and they said, actually, compared to Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan is too short, and he'll never be a success. Despite his stats, that's just college. Let's go with Sam Bowie. 
Good choice. Portland Trailblazers. As they say in the movies, this thing, the Slam Bowie slipped away into obscurity and Michael Jordan, picked up by Chicago Bulls as the second pick, became a global icon that put the sport on the map. Little did, did they know was that he wouldn't just lead the team to great success, he would become a, a, a movie star, Space Jam, anyone remember that? Classic. Went into shoes, Nike became a global brand because of this man who took it into the, the sporting world. Michael Jordan, too short for the NBA, he'll never be a success, showed them that they were wrong. The second story is a man called Ronald Wayne. He was a man who, with the two Steves, Jobs and Wozniak, founded the company called Apple. You might have heard of that company. Now, what happened was Ronald Wayne designed the first Apple logo. He designed it, he penned their first manual, and he was in with these two, the three of them all together. And after two weeks of the company launching, he looked at this and he thought, ah, I'm, I'm in, guys, but you know what? I don't know if we're going to really make this thing big. So, so this man, Ronald Wayne, sold his shares to clear his debt, and he sold his shares for $800. Hmm. Well done. Well done, Ronald Wayne. More like Ronald McDonald to me, but anyway. This is the problem he said to him. He said, it was too big a risk to rejoin them. He's clear my debt. I'm going to go with my life. I'll take what I can get out of this now, and I'll move on. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Little do you know that after the first year, Apple was worth $174 million. Second year, $2.7 million. By the end of 2012, it was worth $226 billion. And Ronald Wayne's shares have been worked out that if he had held out till 2012, they would have been worth $35 billion. But he cleared his debt. Cool. Well done, Ronald Wayne. In 1994, the third story that I love is a soccer club called Blackburn Rovers. Amazing soccer club. And they had just done so well in the Premier League for the first time. And they were approached by a young French club that said they want to sell them a little soccer player called Zinedine Zidane. Cheap. Do you want it? The owner of Blackburn Rovers is on on record for saying this quote. And I I pray it haunts him to his grave because he said this. Who needs Zinedine Zidane when you have Tim Sherwood? Oh, beautiful. Ah, I hope they've got that framed in his house. Zinedine Zidane went on to win six club champs, a World Cup, a Euro- European trophy, FIFA World Player of the Year three times, the Ballon d'Or, the best European player for the past 50 years he was voted as. Zinedine Zidane, but who needs him when you've got Tim Sherwood? Wow. Fourth and final story this morning is of a man called Mark Nelson. And he gathered three other men around him. And they formed a little band, a pop group called Boys to Men. Might have heard of them. And, but Mark Nelson is the leader of the pack. Two weeks before they dropped their first album called End of the Road. You can sing it later if you want. Before that, he'd go there. They're about to go drop this album. He said, guys, you know what? I don't see much future for this. I'm going solo. You guys have all the rights for the band. You go for it. I'm going solo. Mark Nelson Incorporated. That album went platinum overnight and sold 34 million albums worldwide. And Mark Nelson, as far as we know, is still seeing karaoke at the sushi bar down the road. <laughs> Tough life for them all. You know, I tell these stories, they grip me, but we look back over history and we go, Idiots! What were they thinking? Sam Bowie. Oh, you guys go so I'll sell my shares for this amount. Who needs anything to done? And the people had a moment in time, they had this choice to make. And they looked at the two options and they decided to go with... This one. The cost of going with this one is too big. Let's go for the easy out now. And all of them, are, those names pale into, into history. Why? Because they made the wrong choice. What am I getting at this morning and out of this text? Just a bit of background for that text as I open up my water. Is this this man named Moses. 
and he leads the, the Israelite nation out of Egypt, into, out of captivity. He's there, he's led them out of slavery, out of fear, and he's led them now, this whole nation, to the very edge of the promised land, the very edge of their future. Out of, out of being slaves for, me, for, for, for a long, long time, they get to this moment, and now God is trying to get the people not just out of Egypt, but into freedom, into conquering, into faith, and into their future. So Moses, as we read, he sets up an expedition party to go scout the land, and go scout out the future of the nation. And we find a list, as I read out, and I struggled through. I, I went, I didn't skip over them because I wanted you to hear those names. Twelve names were read. And actually, if I'm honest, even though I'm a man who reads the Word of God, only two of them were recognizable. Only two of them. Twelve guys went in. Twelve guys saw the same thing, just like the four stories I reminded you of, that they saw the same opportunity. But ten of them walked in, and they had names that were big in the community of that day, but now they've just become footnotes in history. The names have just become stumbling blocks for preachers around the world. Names that preachers are skim over because they're like, actually, they have no relevance to the story. Why? Because they had the same moment, just like all these other companies and teams and gentlemen. Ten of them walked in and walked away from massive futures because of their response. They saw the cost. They saw the opportunity. But they said, we'll go with the cost. The cost is too great for that opportunity. I believe for us that Christianity is not just the out of. We make much of that. God saved me out of this. And if, if only God could rescue me out of this situation, then I'll be happy. And those are not bad prayers to pray. They're not bad stories to cheer on. They're actually phenomenal stories. But if that was all God had for you and I, we would be, to be, we would be pitied. Because I want to tell you, this is, this is who God is. He's the God of the out of, but more importantly, the into. Now I want to say it this way, that it's more important what you saved for than what you saved from. It's more important what you say for than what you say from. Because I think too often we are always looking over our shoulder where God says, I've saved you for something. For conquest. I want to take you into something. And I believe God is doing that here with us as a church. I believe we're in a season of transition that God is moving us from, we are still a church plant, but God is putting big capacity in us. And he's, he's shifting us on and moving us into our new season, uh, our journey. But I believe he's doing that in individuals as well. And families. As I looked across last weekend, that's such joy in my heart, a uh, Good Friday, Easter, and we saw this place packed and people and great, and I know some of the stories, I'm like, God, I, I know what you've got for this church. I know what you've got for individuals here. And I pray that this morning I'll, I'll do God justice, or the word of God justice, and help push us a little bit further on that journey and for your luck, for, for you. Because I believe God is fashioning for himself a people of faith. A faith that says, I'm not just here to survive, or a faith that doesn't say, I'm not just here to make up the numbers. Or a faith that says, I'm not just here to be a Christian and that's it. Keep it neat, keep it tidy. As Trevor Noah says, keep it here, keep it here. But a faith that declares, I'm just getting started. I believe that God wants to put us in us a faith that believes the best is yet to come. So I want to ask you the question up front and I'll ask it again at the end. What do you see? What lies before you? The cost, the hardship, the trials, the, the, the things you need to overcome? Or do you see the opportunity? Do you see the cost or do you see the opportunity? This morning I want to give us three points from this text. And the, the title of this is how to face the future with faith. How to face your future with faith. I want to give us three things that I believe God has put in my heart for us this morning. And number one, three ways for us to face our futures with faith, not with fear, not with anxiety, not with trepidation, not with pessimism, but with faith, is that we need to change what we see. 
Change what you see. You see, these guys were sent in into the promised land to go and do an expedition journey. Twelve of them go and ten of them come in. And the first thing they say is they go, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And, said, and to them, we also look the same. Grasshoppers, small, insignificant, nothing. They go on and they, and they talk and they talk again about all the bad things they see, the, the negative that comes up above them, the giants, the enemies in the land that they surround us. And they talk around that, they talk that game up. I want to say this this morning, that faith is not denying the fact. Now faith is not this like, make it up and believe and just pretend it's not bad, not pretend the situation is not tough, depend, depend, pretend there's no obstacles ahead of you. Faith is not that. Faith is not denying the fact, but it is acknowledging that there is a superior fact. You see, I love the order of these guys. I, I, I see it. What they did is they get in and they say, yes, the land is good. It's, it's flowing with milk and honey. There's massive fruit. It's going to be a great spacious place coming from captivity. This is a place that we can go and live and become a nation and have a future. And then they go, comma, but there are giants. They saw the opportunity, but the cost was raised way higher than what they saw. And, and I, when I read that, I realized that actually our Christian narrative is, much, is, is just a little bit different. The book of he, Ephesians does not con us. It does not play down. It's not like this, you can do a type of reality. No, no, no. Ephesians tells us that you were dead in your sins. It says that you actually had no hope in this world. That you have nothing good in you. There goes comma, but God. You see, I understand the difference here. They saw the potential, but then they said the cost is too good. God looked at us and he said, "Ah, actually, the cost is too big, but I'm still going to pay it in Jesus to resurrect them. And I think this is the understanding that we are supposed to start to understand in our language and the way that we see things. is not seeing but the giants, but we start to see but God. So make more sense as we go on. Phrases that have become part of who I am is that what you gaze at, you graze from. What you're staring at, what you, we say it otherwise, what you behold, you become. What you are, are looking at, what are, if you are always looking at the negative, can I tell you, you will become a negative person and you will not walk into any future. No critic, no cynic has ever gone down in history. You can not say, I'm a realist. Great, but then you'll just settle for what you can see. And what you can see sometimes will never incorporate the but God reality of who we call to be. Here's the understanding that with eyes of faith, your problem becomes his potential. I think that's good. With eyes of faith, your problem becomes his potential, his opportunity. God is wanting to engage with us here on earth. He has not left us and said, you're saved, good luck, I'll see you in heaven. He said, no, I've given you my Holy Spirit to walk you out of and into a future. Because he says, more important what you say for than what you say from. So if that is the case, he is with us on this journey. And he's wanting to take the negative things that we're facing and the the problems, the addictions, the the brokenness, the the fears, and say, actually, those are going to become your victory. What do I mean by this? Is actually, last weekend was Easter when we looked at the cross and the tomb, the empty tomb. But let me tell you that the tomb for the disciples on that Saturday, the tomb looked like death. The tomb for them was the end of this movement, the end of our futures. We aligned with him. We're in trouble. The disciples said, we thought this guy was the son of God, we believe him, but he's dead now. So the tomb for them meant death. But as I've been thinking and mulling over this week, that actually I believe the tomb was not just the tomb, it was actually a womb from where the church would be birthed. It wasn't just the tomb. With eyes of faith, we get to understand that that thing was not just a house of death, but it was a catalyst for the new beginning. 
Here's the understanding for me this week. What looks like a tomb, I believe, could actually be a womb. For Fiona and I, we're looking, now, don't want to over-exaggerate, we've got a new season. We've got a one-month baby. He loves to be awake. He likes to say hi and be involved in what we're doing, four in the morning, three in the morning. Just say hi, you know? Helpful. You know, and, and I look at it, and lack of sleep, and, and a big season, and temptation grips my heart. And if I'm honest, this is just for me, where I say, actually, this is a limited season. You know, yes, we've got to put wisdom in, but you know, let's just keep it close, keep it tidy. This is a season just to bunker down, just to keep things, it's us and the baby, it's a big season, you know, just so let's keep it quiet. And we actually start to retreat back into a tomb and say, let's just wait and see what will be in front of us. What actually, I believe, what actually is happening is God saying, it's a new season, yes. Yes, it's big. Yes, it's different. It's not denying the fact. Yes, there'll be more. But this, I believe Jesus is saying to us, maybe just us as a couple, but saying this is a refining season for you. That actually in this process, well, you're going to become more like Christ because of this baby. When you want to turn to your flesh and say, I just need sleep. No, you just need Jesus. In this moment. And actually what I'm loving is the fact that my wife is now going to go, get to go to mother's groups where she never was be able to go before because she didn't have a child. Now she gets to go to the hospital, then people who do not go to church, she goes and sits with them every Friday and talks about babies. What a setup. Brilliant. <laughs> what looked like a tomb for us to retreat and I believe was actually just a womb to say, Jesus, a new scene for, for expansion. For you to learn to see it differently. Let me tell you this way, my brother, I've shared the story, I shared it in part last week. My brother, a few years back, was de- declared you he had cancer. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The whole family collapsed. Cancer? What do we do with that? That's a tomb over the sky. Dead. That word is that word is invades and it brings fear and it brings insecurity. And, and we were terrified. But actually now, understanding what God does is that we, could, we looked at it as a tomb, but can I tell you what Jesus was doing with the, what appeared to be a tomb was he was making it a womb. My brother, because of that cancer, who had been running from God for many years, decided to turn back to God in a quiet way and went and sat at the back of the church week in and week out because his foundation was shaken. And he came back to God and in that church he met his wife. They got married. He's, got, he's, got, he's in remission with his cancer. And now my brother, because he's not an employee of a church, but he works... Uh, for uh, he's a boot camp instructor, a massive guy. You can't picture it looking at me. Hey, no, he ate our fourth brother. But anyway, <laughs> massive guy. And because of his connections, he has now got a home group of people who have never gone to church and probably never would have because they've got a stigma attached to it. But because of my brother and because God's done something through the situation through his story, he tells that story. And that home every Monday night is fifty people. Cars down, parked down there. He's not even a preacher. He's nothing. He has no clue what to do. Sometimes he phones me on Monday saying, "Tell me what I'm gonna say." I'm like, I don't know. They're obviously coming for something. But what appeared to be a tomb, I believe, was God saying, "Actually, if you look with eyes of faith, can become a womb." For what I want to do. Too often we see sickness, we see uh, we see brokenness, we see pain, we see a future that's tough, and we go, ah, actually I'm going to sidestep and say, God, I'm out for the season. When God's saying, actually, there's a potential. I know the cost. It's not denying the cost, but saying there's an opportunity for something greater. Yeah. And for us to walk into it, we have to change the way we see, change what we see. Now I want to ask you, what do you see? This morning uh, uh, and this weekend, I was so excited to preach this because I wanted to even just say this line, that actually I see a church here that has tripled in size in one year. Do you know that we started with just over 30 people? And God, I just, I've been trying to work out, and the people who call Life Change Home, and I know it's probably more than that, are well over 120 people. 
quadruple. My maths is terrible. And it's not about numbers. But what I see is a bunch of uh, ragtag people. And this is not no slight on you. It's more about me. People have no clue what we're doing. But saying, actually, we see the, the negative. I see my deficits. I see my insecurities. I see where I fall short. But God. Yeah. And I'm going, God could do this in a year. If he can take stories, I could go around the room and tell stories of people sitting here who, because of this church, have found but God. Yeah. Their lives have changed. Now, we're not elevating the church, but we're saying God uses these things for his glory. Now, I want to tell you, I see a church that is robust. We saw the cost of planting a church and 30 people who were at table view and had everything going for it and, and said, it's easy. So I had to come. And some guys this morning, we here at 6 a.m. to set up. Moving things in and out of the venue. What a cost. Can I tell you what I saw? A cost? But I go, yeah, it's a cost. But what an opportunity. For us to, to grow, instead of seeing a tomb, something that would be a deficit, has become a positive because we've grown a serving culture that says actually we're robust. And it's becoming more like Jesus. People say it's not convenient for us to serve, but we all serve. And actually people are hearing stories of people serving in their businesses, in their homes now because the culture is developing. Do you see the cost or see the opportunity? I see a church. And I want to tell you there's something that's so exciting to me. I, more and more I, I see it and I see it and I see it. That God has got something special in this church. Yeah. Something special. Life changes Milton. And I believe our future is great. And I'll get more and more into that now. Second point. Change what you see. Secondly, change what you say. Change what you say. Now, I'm not a name it and claim it guy. I'm not a person at all. I'm as, as far away from that as you can imagine. But I do believe that your words determine your future. What you're speaking determines where you're going. Because the Bible tells us you empower or undermine it with your tongue. The Bible says there's life and death in your tongue. Which one are you going to speak? Which one are you going to be releasing? And a phrase that for many years has gripped my heart is this. That a people without vision are a people without a future. And a people without a future will always return to their pasts. Let me say it again. A people without vision are a people without a future. And a people without a future will always return to their past. Just look at this text. People who have been saved out of dramatically. They've seen all the miracles. They've seen the Red Sea part. There's no doubt in their mind that God exists. The first verse, Moses says, The Lord has said, He is giving us this land. God said, I'm giving it to you. They're cool. God's done what he said all the way through. They get there, go in and see it. They see it. They see the giants. And what do they come back? They start to complain and mal. They say, why did Moses take us out of Egypt? And they start sulking. At other places, they said, at least in Egypt, we could have had uh, grave sites. They were going to be slaughtered. And no one would even remember us. No, no one remembered them anyway. Bad luck, buddies. But they all said, actually, let's go back to Egypt. What a stupid people. But yet we do it all the time. Why? Because when people do not have a vision or a future, we cannot exist in neutral. Christianity is, there's no neutral gear in Christianity. That if you're not moving forward, I can tell you, your life will start to regress. Because the people without a future will always return to their past. And I believe the greatest thief on inheritances and futures is not the devil. Shocker, horror. How do I know that? I believe... The greatest thief of inheritances and futures is you and I. Yeah. True. Nobody has lied to Gabe Phillips more than Gabe Phillips. I've lied to myself many times, much more than I think the devil has. I think we give him way too much credit. We are more powerful than you could ever imagine. How do I know that? Even a bad, absent father can wreck a family. How powerful. 
A father or a mother who speaks life, I've seen what God can do with that. Somebody, I'm just a mom, but I've seen what can happen. Powerful. We're more powerful than we imagine. And I, I, I love this understanding that we can shift our perspective when we stop describing our problems and start declaring God's promises. A lot of us, myself included, I even sometimes have my prayer life as a, a, de- a declaration of why I should be disqualified. God, I know I am weak. I know there are problems. And I'm going, God's going, I know this. Stop reminding me. I know. I paid for it. Can, do you not remember the cross thing? I did that. I paid for it. I'm not, God is not nervous about his sin. He's not actually worried about it. He's not worried about your deficits. He sees them. He sees the cost. He paid for it. But there's a great opportunity. This is a blessing, and we have to start reminding ourselves of God's promises. Here's this, this thought, that Jesus did not live in reaction to the devil. He lived in response to his father. He didn't really live in reaction to what the devil was doing. You know, people, we do that. Oh, we've got to get a prayer meeting. The enemy is doing something. I'm like, the enemy's at work all the time, guys. We don't have to look at it. You know, there's even that phrase, there's no one I know, so just a pet peeve I want to get off my chest. <laughs> you know, people say, we want to be watchmen on the walls, looking for the enemy. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, what watchmen on the walls did, was their job, sole job, was to look for the return of the king. Yeah. Not for the enemy. So if you're wanting to be a spiritual warfare person, don't look for the enemy, look for Christ. Look for what he's doing. Because Jesus didn't do anything in reaction to the devil. He said, actually, I know all your plans. I know that to kill, destroy, steal. That's fine, I know. But my father came to bring life. We don't have to get caught up in what the enemy is doing. Look for the king. Well, how does this go into our real day life? I know I've seen it so many times for myself. A small example. I wake up and I go, look at the day. I get the text. The phone starts ringing. And I go, oh, you know that these things you've got to do. And you go, it's going to be one of those days. Okay, I tell you, nine times out of ten, it's one of those days. I come home dragging my feet. Glad that one's over. Can I tell you? And this is not positive talk, but when we sit there saying one of those days, you know what the Bible says? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I think sometimes we have allowed ourselves, because of pessimism in our culture, to become pessimistic to what God wants to do with us. And He wants to do these things in our hearts, so we've got to change the way we speak. Now, in who I am, I, I, I've learned from leaders around me to under-promise and over-deliver. So I, I understand that. But I know my heart is easily placated and fooled into smallness. I know that. You know, I love to, just in terms of the church thing, I, sometimes I go, wow, God, you've done such a great job. You've got a great community. Let's settle. It's nice. It's cool. And I, and I start to talk myself into that. We don't need our own building anyway. And you start to make scriptures around it. I want to tell you that this church, I believe, will have its own building in Milmanton. I believe that God, yes, spaces are the premium, but I believe God's placed and called us here. They're giants in land, yes, but I believe God's called us. I don't know when, but I believe God's called us there, so who am I to fool us into that and actually make it, get scriptures, oh, you know, actually want to be a robust people that lived in tents like Abraham, so let's stay small. Well, actually, God says, I'll save you for greater things. And I'm easily placated, and I want to say, I believe... You and I are the same. But we easily settle in our lives, in our marriages, and we settle for average. We settle for ordinary. We, we settle for these things. We're saying, would you start to speak to yourself again? I want to ask you, are you talking to yourself? Now, that's not in a weird way, but actually in the scripture, we find David spoke to his soul a lot. He said this to himself. David in the Psalms, again and again, says, Awake my soul! Worship God! Find strength in Him alone! 
When was the last time you did that? Sometimes I think we just allow ourselves to drift. And I have to sometimes grab hold of myself and say, actually, you will worship God today. I've said it before. There are two times to worship God. When you feel like it, and when you don't. Trying to work out. Is there any other time? No. There's no other time because actually we've got to... But if you're not talking to yourself, you're allowing the enemy to get in there. And you have to speak the word of God to who you are and you need to change the what you say. Change what you say. So change what you see, change what you say. And finally this morning, it's change what you share. They're all S's. Had to fight for that last one. You see, this understanding for me, why is this such a big deal? It's because of those 10. The 10 guys, the 12 all together. The only two that ended up going into the promised land was an old man named Caleb and a very young man named Joshua, who by default should have actually probably, if you're looking at who are key leaders for the future, the young lighty, probably not. The old man, probably not. They were the only two that actually went in. Here's the thing. Ten guys went in. They came in with a bad report. Not just the ten of them, but the whole nation, that whole generation, did not go in the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua. Ten guys came in and said, the whole community started to grumble and say, you're right. They shared a bad report and the whole community got disqualified. I want to tell you, you are more powerful than you think. You're not isolated as much as you think. Your decisions you make today will affect those around you. The decisions that Rowan Phillips, my dad, made years ago to decide that actually my family's gone this one way, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Coming from a broken family, decided this thing will go. Because of that decision, he has changed the destiny of our lives forever. I believe that sitting here today, we are disqualifying the potential of our future because we go, it's not that, you know, just, this is my life. It's not just your life. It's our life and many, many more. And I'll say, older people, if you're older and you say, I'm a little A, it's time for younger guys. Caleb said, no, 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 I want my whole country too. I'm not going to believe the bad report. Please, we need you to fight it. We don't want stories of when we's. We want when we will be. Young people, don't say, hey, I'm just young. Please, let's not disqualify ourselves for what God wants to do in and through us. So I want to uh, encourage us in this thing. Yeah, I think for me, I I look at this and I I, I see it. And again, I do it sometimes. Too quick to share of negative Facebook posts. We've seen that's how fake news has gone huge. Because people see it as juicy and it's like 10 things that will about the nation and number 6 will shock you. Oh, share that. You know? And some don't even read it. We just share. Because it just confirms our negativity. And we love to be right on that. And now it's not about Facebook or sharing. I don't want to diminish it. But I believe that God has called us to represent a different platform. Different, represent not but the giants, but a but God reality. The scripture, we used to sing it in the 90s in Zim. In dramatic way, I won't sing it now. Is the song, Whose Report Will You Believe? Whose Report Will You Believe? Two different reports came out of the same circumstance. CNN and Fox News. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Or even here, SABC and ANN7. Have you ever seen that Gupta channel? No? No one? Fascinating watching. The day, same thing. Zuma does the cabinet shuffle at night. The one media outlet says, Doom and glue, we're all done. Terrible corruption. The Gupta News Network said, Zuma masterstroke. I was like, I'm joking. You're joking. <laughs> Same incident, two different reports. 
how did it get so different? Well, actually, they're, they're looking at something different. And I'm not, now I'm not going to do a parallel of that. I'm just saying that these people walk into the situation, same situation, but there's two different reports. And I want to ask you, whose report will you believe? If you're sitting here today and you say, actually, there's nothing good going in my life. I'm weak. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm rotten. I want to say, yes, you probably are. But God! But God! And that can be the line that is declared over your life. It's the line that's declared over my life. And I thank God. I'm not a man here who's qualified to preach because of who I am. I promise you that. I'm qualified only because of but God. And I want to tell you, God is releasing us to be qualified to be people who take this city, take this gospel, take our families into a future that we could never have dreamt of because of but God. Here's my landing today. is an opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. The opportunity of the lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. Four stories I started with. There was this moment where they had to make a decision. And they went Sam Bowie. They went, I'm going solo. We'll go with Tim Sherwood, thanks. We'll sell our shares. And, and the rest is history. This moment came and they chose a choice. They chose a path to walk. There's a story in the New Testament that, is, that scares me but encourages me at the same time. It's found in Matthew 19, a man called the rich young ruler. We don't know his name. Politician of the day. And he was a man who had fame, he had fortune, rich. He had youth on his side and he had authority in his hand. Rich young ruler. All we know of him. And he comes to Jesus going, here we go, Jesus, I think you and I should team up. I've got the bucks. We have a big campaign. I want to come follow you. You need me. I need you. His work. Kimasabi. Let's do it. That's what he said. It's in, it's in the message. Um, what happened was, this guy comes up to Jesus and Jesus says, great, I see that. He says, I want you to come follow me, but this is what you have to do. He says, yeah, sell everything, give it away to the poor, and then come, let's go. He said, come. And the, the rich young ruler said, what do you mean I'll sell all my wealth? Whoa. And the guy looked, cost. Opportunity, Jesus. Cost. He goes, I can't do it. And the Bible gives us the last line about this man was this. He went away sad. The rich young ruler walked to him and said, can't do it. Hold on to his checkbook and say, this will keep me happy. This will keep me going. I think it's a safe option to do that. The disciples a little later on, a different moment, they responded to Jesus as they were a bit worried because they, they saw this guy walk away, they saw other guys walk away. And Jesus said to them, looked at these, this ragamuffin group of followers who had nothing, who had left everything, who left their boats, their jobs, their families, and they're looking at Jesus wide-eyed. Jesus says, are you, are you guys going to leave me as well? And they said, where, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. These young guys who did not have the riches, did not have the, the authority, did not have any of those credentials against their name, but they weighed up the cost, they'll be big, everything. Or Jesus, the opportunity, the future. And they decided that they actually what, what God was doing was greater what was in front of them than what was behind them. Now here I want to tell you this morning that it doesn't mean this will be easy. Don't want to placate us or lie to us. Because actually, the promised land was not the end for the Israelites. That was never the end. God had always had more for them. It wasn't out. Go in there and settle down. The promised land is not a euphemism for heaven. It's not a parallel for heaven. The promised land is for the inheritance here on earth. And actually, there were giants in the land. And actually, do you know who killed them? Caleb and Joshua killed them. They had to fight those battles. They had to take the area. They had to take ground. It wasn't easy. But they were the only ones who had the opportunity to do that. The only names that God remembered. 
Let me tell you, following Jesus, laying a hold of our futures will not be easy because there is opposition. But I believe that we can have faith. We can face our futures with faith. Why? Because of but God. Because if we understand when we change the way we see, we'll start to understand that in every situation we, we see a tomb, we get to see Jesus, the risen King. When we change the way we speak, it's not actually now choosing hey, good words or bad words. It's actually saying, I'm going to choose to speak and believe Jesus. What He says about me. What He says about my future. And thirdly, what am I going to share with people? What am, who am I going to take with me? It's not about actually my credentials. It's about Jesus. This thing boils down right now. I believe this morning that in matrix fashion, blue pull, red pull, cost opportunity. And I don't want to over-dramatize it because I know Jesus is merciful and gracious and He keeps calling. But I want to keep reminding and pressing us that I believe that there's a time such as now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Doesn't mean tomorrow will not be. He is still calling. But I want to say I believe that the opportunities of a lifetime need to be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. I think some of us have been dilly-dallying, have been sitting in neutral, have been sitting in the gray, sitting in apathetic, sitting in negativity, settling for the past, settling for this is my lot for too long. And I believe this is a new season for us as a church to take a step forward, for families to say, actually, I see the giants, but God. And I believe whatever that looks like for you, that God is wanting to do that in men's and women's hearts this morning, old and young alike. And I believe that we are going to see the greater things. Because it's more important what you say for than what you say from. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray in, in, in a bumbling fashion this morning with words, trying to do justice to my heart, trying to do justice to your heart, to represent you well what you're trying to say. I pray, Jesus, would you release your Holy Spirit to every heart right now? You're here and you're convicting of sin. You're convicting of, of, we don't even call it anything else. When we've been holding on to our past, even if it seems legitimate, we say, God, we repent, it was sin. Because, God, we are not a people who dwell on the past. We're people who look forward to the future. Because you came and walked into our story and said, but God. You walked into our marriages and said, but God. You walked into our children's future and said, but God, will you start to see your children differently? Will you start to speak differently over them? Will you start to share with them differently? God, I pray right now, in every heart, in every job, in every, over this nation, over what we are dreaming for, for this church, I pray that you are stepping, but God. Fill us with faith. I pray, God, we'll be a people who don't face the future with fear, or anxiety, or apprehension, or looking to our wallets, or looking to our friendship circles, but we'll we'll approach it with faith. Because of but God. I thank you, Jesus, for this.